got a uh, lot of good notes here. Unlike your other uh, podcast people, I, I mute when I cough and hack before the podcast starts. Hmm. Hmm. That's how it's going to be. That's one of my main uh, podcasting activities is coughing and blowing my nose while muted. Are you, are you a big nose blower? Oh, uh, yeah. I got got the tissues over here. I got I got a hack. I got a cough. I got to blow my nose all muted. Boy, I can't believe you don't leave that in. I think nope. People would enjoy that. Nope. Yeah, I'm trying. I got the uh, I got the mute my mic. I'm trying to get good at that. I uh, I may have dodged a bullet tonight because uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's you know it's a, it's an availability heuristic. I only notice it when I notice it. But I have my neighbors have a uh, I guess a vintage moped that they like to work on. And from where I sit recording podcasts for my nominal living, uh, it just sounds like them revving an engine, driving a little bit coming back, revving the engine some more, and then driving a little bit. But they were working on it, but I think they're done. All you got now is the streetcar, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I miss that. I don't, I don't hear it as much anymore these days. I kind of miss it. Um, I've got a, you know, I guess a kind of better mic, but I also, I, I do try to mute it. But it's a fool's errand, you know? I just, I don't know. It gives know. a sense of place. It's like when they do, like, you know, radio sound effects, like the little uh, crickets chirping or the other sort of bugs in the night makes you think it's a summer evening. Well, mm-hmm. I don't know what uh, sense of place it's giving, but whatever it is, it it's a place. That's the foley of my life. And uh, the funny part is I don't want to correct people on this because I'm not a corrector, but people, I think, in their mind when they hear it go by, thundering by, uh, I my sense is that they think it's one of those rice cable cars. Could be. I mean, <laughs> I, I always assume that's what it was, too. Really? Wow, well, that must make me seem very uh, San Francisco. Well, you know, I, I mean, it's above ground, right? Yeah, but it's more like, uh, I mean, it's bigger than like a Portland streetcar. They're huge. They're they're really big and really loud, and the entire place shakes. <laughs> you're, not, you're not recording underground from the tunnels, right? With, with the mole people. Well, you know, I was I was already I was already you know into this place and, and committed and you know and then I thought oh I'm sure I can doctor it up a little bit with sound panels and stuff but like the you know the, the whole place shakes there's nothing I can do about it and like I say you know it's uh, it's not like I'm doing NPR or something you know you're gonna cover up your Jean Grey posters with sound panels it's wow gonna, you are good not you are good stand. I have uh, yeah I have several X Men posters in here does that surprise you? <laughs> Doesn't surprise me because you've talked about it on the show on your various programs. I always forget people are listening. Yeah, I, I put it out of my mind. You you never stop thinking about that, do you? You know people are listening. I don't know. It's just uh, it's just one of the things I know now. Yeah, I, I know a lot of Merlin lore. Your memory's impeccable. No, it's not. It's not very good at all. But the things <laughs> the things that get stuck in it are are not the things you would expect. So. Well, that's the whole that's the whole basis of the program. I mean, this is uh, this is the recording of our our second episode, and I think oh, we've had a lot of uh, a lot of progress behind the scenes. <laughs> we've we've done got a lot of good work here today. <laughs> good job, guys! High five. Uh, let's just take the rest of the night off. We got a name. We've got some sponsors. We went around and around on a title. I don't know if any of this is interesting to you. Well, so what? Uh, so. You're trying to, like, summarize decisions that we've come to? What is this about? I'm just breaking the ice. I'm just really self-conscious now. Like, I can see your face in this Google Doc staring at me all the time. I see your little pen and ink drawing that somebody did of you that only looks a little bit like you. Yeah. Yeah, it's like when you see somebody's uh, headshot, and it really is clearly a headshot from the 60s or 70s. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm going to keep using this picture of me until I'm dead, I guess. Is that, is that how you're allowed to do that? 
Is that your official Ars Technica picture? No, that's just I, it has a series of bad pictures of me. And at one point, we were taking family photos at the family photo place, and I said, "You know what? Take some pictures of just me." Smart. Yeah, because we're already paying a million dollars for these family photos that we get now every year. It was, it was worse when it was like, uh, you know, three months, six months, nine months, twelve. Like that was just breaking the bank. Now it's at least once a year. So that's well, that, well, I want to come back to that at some point because this is one of the things that makes me think you're, you're into your family is you do stuff you take, like you take photos and you send them out. Into my and family. I'm in the middle of my family. I'm here. I'm soaking in it. <laughs> you're soaking. You're sopping wet with family. Yeah, they're everywhere. They're like, they like live in the same house with me. They always want things. <laughs> my, 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 my daughter has moved into this mode now that is totally my own fault. Well, almost totally my own fault. Where, like, left to her own devices, she will just move between, like, food and screens until we stop her. She stops the screen, she wants some food. When the food's over, she wants another screen. She's a growing girl. She needs everything a growing girl needs. (laughs) Flickering lights and food. Yeah. You know, I've made my my peace with that, mostly. Let's see. Uh, So, yeah, we got your family photos. Um, I don't know what I missed... I mean, do you want to? Talk, I don't know. If, I don't know what you want to talk about. Do you want to talk about any of the behind the scenes of the uh, of the naming? Not really. Well, we should. Uh, I think it would be fun to try to describe what we think this show is about, and then so we can laugh at it later. Uh, <laughs> in, in the same way that we listened to the beginning of back to work episodes. Yes. And think about, boy, these guys did not know what was anyway. Maybe we're right, but any, we have, like the Cylons, I guess we kind of have a plan. Oh, yeah. They never really did have a plan, did they? Mm, they had a series of plans. They did a lot of pivots. Yeah. That was a great opening, though. Wow, I really enjoyed that opening. I watched that first episode again not too long ago. It's really, really good. Yeah, we went through a bunch. I ended up trying to recycle a bunch of names from another thing you were helping me name a while back. And, I, I didn't uh, we, help you name that, did I? I, didn't, I, knew, I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember throwing out names for it. Well, you you gave me a you know your gut check on what you thought was appropriate or not or sensible or not. Yeah, I, I think even what we've come up with, I reverse engineered this based on the first episode because I didn't know what this would be. But after the first episode, some themes emerged, and then we yeah. sort of riffed on those themes to come up with something. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I understand what the show is. All right, well, let's hear it. What the the title or the theme? Well, everyone, it's not like we're teasing something. Everybody who's downloaded this knows what the title is at this point. It was just exciting for us. You don't know we that. Didn't, we didn't know what the title is. Yeah, they just subscribed to it and downloaded it. There. Anyway, uh, what do you, what are you, what are we doing here? What do you think? Well, um, I, see, I thought, I didn't know it was going to be this serious. Streetcar. God damn it. I thought it was, um, no, no, did we agree are we going to keep it non-explicit? Uh, I didn't curse in the last episode, did I? No, no, but I mean, I'm going to try not to. Yeah, you can, you know, if we, if one of us slips, uh, yeah. then you can, you know, do the edit- editing magic. We'll tell the kid to fix it. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I guess I thought, you know, I avoid these things, but sometimes people like hearing these things. I think talking about how the sausage got made in media production is not that interesting, but some people are interested in that, like to a fault. We've been talking uh, on and off, mostly off for like what? at least a year, probably for longer, about doing something. Do you agree? Yes. Okay, okay. And uh, we even went so far as to record something one time. And uh, that was probably at least a year ago. And it just, uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't magic. 
that's the thing. I've recorded a lot of stuff with a lot of people that I know I could do something really, really good with. But, you know, there wasn't chemistry like I suspected we were capable of or I hope we're capable of. But it just wasn't like it was just, you know, wasn't it didn't zing. See, I, I, I agree with that. But I think that's the way it is at the beginning of any like I, I think that's just at the beginning of any podcast, even if it's just one person. That's always kind of the way it is. And then it's the, the show kind of like finds its groove. I mean, it's we're not luckily we're not in the, the rough and tumble world of television pilots where you've got to get ratings and everything. But there is the kind of like, oh, I don't know if this there is anything there or whatever. But anyway, um, I feel like that's uh, the natural course of events. I do, too. And and like anything where I would have a internal uh and mental commitment to it i mean i didn't say it to you because i didn't want to be a creep about it but like i've really wanted to do something with you for a long time and so i was like you know it'll it'll find its place it'll you know emerge when it's time but with that said i, I feel like i know i struggled and i think you struggle with like okay so what is it i mean i the last thing i think the world needs is not like two white guys talking about technology unless you've got a real super interesting new spin on it like i think we're good mostly not entirely true. I mean, there are always going to be people who, you know, emerge, but like that, I don't want to contribute to that particular uh, genre anymore. Plus, I but, have plenty of outlets for that. So I wasn't looking for another outlet for that. Well, in the pitch I made to you, one of the pitches was that you didn't read it for a few days, but the pitch that I made to you um, was that I felt like I, there's the John that you get when you get ahead of steam on back on hypercritical there's the john you know there's a certain kind of like funny john on atp but then there's this very funny loose john that i feel like i only get to hear on the incomparable which is one of my favorite podcasts but let's be it's a genre podcast about pop culture and like i thought you haven't really had a platform to be whatever yourself is not that you're necessarily being yourself. Or a but. different version of myself. Because again, think, think of back to work, which ostensibly is about productivity and stuff like that. But you more or less bring, not maybe not your whole self, but more of yourself than just the guy who talks about productivity you bring to that program. Uh, yeah. Was that the plan in the beginning? Did it just evolve that way? But at this point, it's like 60% uh, non-productivity and 40% productivity. And depending on how you feel about that ratio, you some people want it to go in more in one direction and the more in the other. But the point is, it's not a narrowly focused program. Even as, it's not even as narrow as ATP is about tech. You feel yeah. free to just wander far and wide on that program. And so you're right. The incomparable. I'm talking about things that are not technology. And then I do ATP. And then I, I, I guest on various other podcasts. Occasionally, I go on gaming podcasts, which is another outlet that I feel like I don't have. Mm -hmm. a place to put all that so if i'm a guest on a gaming podcast i blather about it for a while it's a big part of your life right i mean i i feel like i'm I, I'm, now I'm increasingly getting that especially when we talk about our our whatever you call it differences or distinctions like i i mean it's a pretty when you have free time that's where it goes right well i mean it's, it's a good mix but like you feel like you want to have a creative outlet where you can express uh your ideas uh, about things that you care about and you know there's a wide range of and everybody has a wide range of those things you know you don't want to feel like you're and that's the beauty of podcasting uh right. you can just make a new podcast about whatever the hell you want yeah it's true but like there has to i feel like there has to be whenever you're making something new you know i don't think you i don't want i don't think you need to get like obsessed with this as obsessed as i get but it's not even like I, I, it has to be great or it has to be love, but it has to be something that feels a little bit different to me. And sometimes the difference is, well, I'm, I'm involved in where other people weren't before. I mean, that's a, one silly way to look at it. But, but like with Back to Work, um, 
that's a show that would not I think it's a pretty good show still. I, re- I think it's a good show. I, I'm not going to sandbag. I think it's a good show. But it's good because of our on-air relationship and because I'm not hung up on the idea that I'm there to show people how to use their pencil more efficiently because that's actually what I was coming off of big time at the time I started the show. So if I weren't a you know, retired productivity guru, I wouldn't be as interested in talking about quote-unquote productivity because, I mean, I was telling somebody the other day, it's like I feel like... Really, every episode of that show is about is kind of about feeling like a terrible person and how do you deal with that? And like most productivity stuff, only gets to that in the most uh, shallow, kind of superficial ways. So that was the twist there. Plus, I mean, I just like doing stuff with Dan. He's super weird, but he's he's really interesting to work with. He's a great co-host, and I like where we end up going. You know, it's you know, it's just weird. I just I'm not that into podcasts where somebody has an outline. And they just go through the outline and then we have the break and then we come back and then we pick up on and it's like, ugh, like that just, that would just be death to me. You know, if you can't find a way to add some air to it, you know, it's just, there's like, how, how do you keep that interesting for three or five years? Yeah. You, you gotta know? feel like, you gotta feel like you have this stuff inside you that you want to get out and that can sustain you for as long as you feel like you have the, you know what I mean? Like if, if, if you, if you don't have an audience or you think you have ideas or twists on ideas that haven't been out there and you feel like you have to get it out, then you empty all that out and then you're left with, okay, now what? Right? Because you're not right. going, these are like, this is your life's accumulated ideas. And so what, we, what we've been doing on this so far, at least the last episode was a good example of that where we're, I mean, I was anyway, dumping out stuff that had previously not been emptied onto the, the floor of any other podcast. Mm-hmm. And so you still you still have been uh, uh, haven't given your summary of what you think this is about so far that we can look back later on and laugh. So uh, what do you, what do you think? This episode of Reconcilable Differences is sponsored in part by Field Notes. Field Notes notebooks are fantastic for all uses. You've seen these around; they're terrific. You can have one in your pocket, keep one in a bag, by the car, by your Mac, anywhere you go. These things are a perfect fit. They are small and very durable. They wear beautifully, and sometimes a little wear and tear actually makes them shine even more. Guys, I've been using and loving Field Notes for years. I swear, I think they are literally right in the pocket. Hold for laugh. Field Notes notebooks are made in America, and they're based in Chicago. Well, the company is. You can keep your notebook wherever it's convenient. Uh, the stuff these guys make, uh, just excellent quality and just wonderful design. They sweat so many of the details. One cool thing about Field Notes is something they have called their Colors Editions. Every quarter, Field Notes comes up with new limited edition notebooks. They're always super inventive, interesting, fantastically designed The edition for this summer season is called the Workshop Companion Edition, and it features a set of six books. This is so cool. Six books in a custom sleeve with a set of stickers. Oh, so neat. Each book is themed to a common project to be done around the house, electrical, plumbing, painting, gardening, automotive, and woodworking. And if you are a Field Notes Color subscriber, you also get a super cool Workshop Reminder Magnet. That's a pretty neat season. Field notes really do. They sweat every detail for these kinds of things. The paper quality, super important. They go to great lengths to get everything about it right. You can learn more about the workshop edition by going to fieldnotesbrand.com slash workshop. Thing is, you buy a year-long color subscription, starting with the workshop companion. And if you use that code RELAY, you'll get three Carpenter's pencil, pencils and a three-pack of pitch black memo books free, boom, in your pocket. And you don't have to buy a subscription. You can also buy packs of the workshop edition separately, like an animal. But, but, you know, why not subscribe? It's a pretty good gig. So, but you won't hurry. These things do sell out. Beat your friends. (laughs) Get yourself some field notes. Do not delay. 
Uh, we are so grateful to Field Notes. Uh, I think the world of this company and the folks behind it, uh, we, uh, we're very grateful to Field Notes for supporting reconcilable differences. Here's what you got to know, Field Notes. I am not writing it down to remember it later. I'm writing it down to remember it now. Well, uh, I thought, just, just for the Delta here, I thought that it was going to be a very a funny podcast where you mostly make fun of me and I would enjoy being made fun of uh, and we would have uh, kind of jokey arguments about, you know, uh, about stuff, you know, and that, that it, I could see it going a million directions. We were talking about doing it on a certain kind of schedule. And I, I also want to talk about the issue of constraints because I can think constraints once you, once you figure out, and I am going to answer your question, but like once you figure out what the constraints are, you know, you a lot of stuff starts falling into place a lot easier than it did before. Once you know that not everything is on the table, it gets, I don't know, I think it's you, then you can say, let's just jump in and see what happens, right? I think the problem is that a lot of people have, and I have had, especially in the past with music, is like you're way in, way more into like thinking of a cool band name then figuring out what genre of music you want to play based on the cool band name you picked and then getting a logo and, you know, but I think that's not so far off what a lot of people do is you want to figure out what you're like coming up with running jokes. And it's like, don't, you know, don't do that. Like if they're running jokes and they're funny, they will come up, you will use them. Hopefully you will not lean on them too much. And then you, you move on. Right. But it all, it all contributes to the palette of, you know, all the different colors that you can choose to paint with at any time. But what the hardest part for me is knowing uh, there's enough here to make a leap of faith and just jump into trying a thing, right? And then, you know, and then, of course, there's that feeling like, well, well should I, if it sucks, do I release it? Well, no, you don't. Like, that's the, that's the leap of faith part, is it, you're kind of giving yourself an existential loan um, to try something out. But that's what I thought it was going to be. Um, and then you dumped a st- bunch of stuff on the floor. And now I like the title. So the title we came up with, which is probably already on the tin, was uh, Reconcilable Differences. Because I think we, uh, you said this here in the notes that, you know, talking about we're really different, but I think, I think we share, God, this is so boring. It's, we share an interest in like prodding around about like why people are how they are. Including or, ourselves. You know, and, and Including we, ourselves. We are yeah. two, I mean, if you want to, yeah, we are two people with, uh, that I think if you ask people to listen to our podcast, they could identify specific personality quirks and interests and and passions or whatever, and they are different than each other. So how me figure out how you got to be the way you are and why you're into the things you're into and what you like about them and vice versa is, is interesting to me. Yep. And it's half the reason I'm listening to you on podcasts is to to hear (laughs) what, what you have to say about things because it is often positions or ideas that I myself have not had or experiences that I have not experienced. And that's why I think people, uh, listen to either one of us for that matter. I think part of it also is possibly a consequence of getting older where the, the kinds of things I, you know, on the make believe axis, I, I used to be very into topic. Like I would go somewhere and put up with really obnoxious personalities just because they held the same political beliefs as me or, or, you know, what I believe to be my political beliefs. They spout. I should say they spouted this similar rhetoric, rhetoric to what I spouted, but um, but over time, I, more and more, I feel like uh, I'm more interested in. I'm very interested in people who are kind of slightly undone in public. I, I'm, you know, not not people who are just a basket case, but people who can be vulnerable without being, um, 
you know, going straight to being a basket case. Because those people, those are people who are still figuring themselves out and still evolving. I find that so much more interesting than some kind of well, well-branded person who just wants to talk about, you know, why they hate Android or something. It sounds reductive, but like there's just, there's so much of that out there where it's like, I got to figure out the one thing I'm going to say and then just say it over and over every week. And so, and this goes to the back to work thing too, because increasingly I find myself more and more drawn to unsolvable problems. Like if it's a solvable problem, like it's not for me. Like I'm not, I'm not interested in problems that have a resolution that you can get to in 50 to 90 minutes. I like the things that don't really have a correct answer. That I think is uh, something that both of us share is if someone sounds like they're providing the answer to some problem, it's, I'm not going to say repulsive, but it repels, it repels me anyway. I'll speak for myself that like, mm-hmm. that they, it's a difference between a, a self-help seminar where a guy goes around the country and goes through his 10 point plan for whatever. And it's the same 10 points and it's the same 10 points year after year, city after city, person after person. It's always the same because it's just, it's just like a vaudeville act. It has nothing to do with, uh, you know, any, any realistic examination of the issues involved. And so you're always immediately suspicious of somebody who sounds like they have the answer. Whereas if you're listening to someone who is filled with self-doubt and just trying to figure things out, I, it, does that help? I mean, some people are helped by those kind of self-help classes, but I, myself, my personality, I'm suspicious of that. I feel like I'm mm-hmm. being swindled and probably am. It reminds me of uh, a term I learned. I was doing a talk at a university in Connecticut, and the guy who brought me there introduced me to a word I'd never heard. Uh, now I hear a lot, but problematize. That it's the is the job of the academic to problematize, to go and um, you know find things that are not entirely sound or complete about someone's argument. And when I think about that, it's interesting because you and I, I think, have an interest in that in very different ways. And you know, it might sound the same sometimes, but in the same way that you know, you, I feel like back from the hypercritical days. I think what what's what a lot of people get and some people don't get is that you're not just you're not trying to be difficult. You're saying that like the more you enjoy something, the more you're interested in seeing how it could be better. And here's a thing that's actually not such a big deal that you could make better. It's not a it's not an insult, it's not a slam, you know? And whereas with and and, and for me, whenever people say, and you've certainly heard this on Back to Work, you know, oh you gotta go out and set goals for yourself. And I'll be like, Well, maybe. You know, goals can really be self-defeating if they aren't updated and realistic. Oh, you should never have goals. Well, that's not true. I mean, do you really want to play tennis without a net? It's like, I feel like maybe I'm more of a contrarian. I just, whenever somebody comes up with something that's like a, a an unvulnerable pronouncement about how the world mostly always is, it gets my dander up a little bit. And I feel like I, I don't feel like I have to say something, but I know I'm thinking that person's probably a little bit of a bozo. You're definitely a contrarian. That is, no, I'm not. I feel like that yeah. is your first instinct upon hearing anything is to be, hmm, I don't know about that. And like just to to go in the opposite direction. I mean, it's, and we have, a, people don't know, but we're looking at a big list of topics here. And a lot of them, I feel like on your end of things, things that I don't understand, things that you've uh, uh, been into in your life perhaps spring from that that notion of uh you know going against the tide uh and for me i don't think i have i have a little bit of the anti-authoritarian spirit (laughs) but not not nearly to the degree you i think it's probably because i you know conformity uh was a uh comfortable uh refuge when i could find my way there yeah but you talk sass to bullies yeah well but that's i mean yeah 
that's true but i like i don't that was a bad move <laughs> like in in retrospect uh, and you know and conformity is uh, i mean it's 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 within reach for me like so that's that's the reason it is a comfortable refuge is at the very least it is within reach i can i can walk the walk sort of kind of if i just don't open my mouth right yeah i'm i'm thinking of this book i read in college um and half understood called the act of creation by arthur kessler and uh i'll proceed to mangle what i understood to be his theory which is the idea that you know creativity involves the kind of smashing together two things right i mean in a classic creative you know scenario you're taking two things that don't seem like they should be connected and finding a way a a novel and interesting and maybe useful way in which they're connected but long story short for this um for purposes here he talks about the difference between uh tragedy and and humor and i think that's kind of what we're talking about you know when an old lady you know um with a cane falls on the ice it's not that funny unless you're you're a very unkind person. But if like this preposterous guy who thinks he's really fancy and you know talking on his uh, Bluetooth thing like falls down, that's kind of funny because you're seeing the disparity between his highfalutinness and his being being brought down by gravity. And so I think that's the thing here. It's like I would never go out and make fun of somebody be I I I would like to think at this age I would not go and make fun of a hairless man because he has a toupee. It's not something I would do a lot. I come to see that as being very unkind. But there is something farcical about somebody. There's one thing to be a guy who wears a toupee and is like, "Yeah, I'm really sensitive about my hair situation." versus somebody who really thinks they're pulling it off and and might even like try and pull some kind of status move on you because they think everybody, "Oh, everybody thinks I look 20." That's the kind of person that drives me nuts. It's the person at the party jamming their card into my hand and talking about being a serial entrepreneur that like that to me is you might as well have just shoved me when you said something like that. That's I'm like, really? Let's talk a little bit about some of your un- things you've entrepreneured. Like that's, to me, that's the kind of thing where like, I feel like I, I, it's hard for me not to say something to, to somebody like that. And it's because they're, they're being pompous and they're, they're, be, they're trying to seem invulnerable when they're actually comically vulnerable in a way that I, I kind of want to prod. I don't know what has happened in my life to do this to me, but I think at this point, like in the moment, I can uh, be just as terrible as I've ever been, right? And say stupid things and say mean things or whatever. But even just given enough distance in the, like someone describing a situation to me, when I think about it now, I think there is no situation where I would feel good about uh, even the pompous guy trying to pull something off. Like as you're describing that scenario to me, I'm thinking. Uh, despite what I may do in the moment, there's no situation in which I, I would feel good about doing any of that stuff. And that if I, if I had a moment to think about it, I wouldn't do it at all. And which is, which flies in the face of what I would actually do because, you know, everyone just has their knee jerk reactions to things, right. And says terrible things, right. But then I just always regret them later. I don't know if that makes me better or worse, but like at 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 this point now, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just looking in, (laughs) looking at these situations, just like you eventually, uh, be, uh, gain some understanding of everybody's situation. And the more understanding you have of someone's situation, including and perhaps especially the people who are being pompous or jerks or hypocritical or whatever, you start to understand where they're coming from and oh, yeah. empathize with them. And then like it takes all the air out of any fun you could possibly have uh, at, at their expense in when right. you're when you have distance from it in the moment who knows what you do right well I, and I using that example I just meant that as being like a broad example I don't mean to make fun of something that, in that case something that somebody can't prevent but I'm talking more about like a Rob Enderly or a uh, Bill O'Reilly 
or you know somebody somebody like that somebody who's trying to build this entire oh yeah yeah reputation where it's like it's so difficult sometimes to just go well it's just it's just another analyst you know it's just another political person because there's something kind of galling about being forced to sit and listen to say so- someone say something that is not only untrue not only unkind but is like demonstrably untrue like i can show you how what you just said is not accurate and like and but you're building this entire reputation and harming people while you're doing it that's i mean not not to be robin hood or superman or something but th- don't you ever feel that yeah like, so that's like a, i think i called this a cynics dilemma at some blog post a long time ago trying to make up a term that didn't make any sense but anyway it's a situation that i found myself in for a long time of like people like that i always ask myself does this person really believe the things they're saying or are they saying things as part of a plan to further their, you know, career goals or whatever? Like, is, is, is it a conscious performance or do they believe it? Right. Right. For anybody. And it's always like people you disagree with. Like someone says something you disagree with and you're like, oh, that is so crazy. Uh, do you really believe that? Or do you know that by saying that you will build your audience, get elected, get the thing that you want, get the raise, get the girl, whatever it is like, you know, and the larger the figure is in life. The more, the more you see, you can see both sides of you. You can say, well, uh, you know, playing this part as an entertainer, it, you know, it gets you a big audience. Uh, and so that is a performance and you could be a very good performer and you don't have to believe any of those things. You're basically an actor without telling anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Or there's no way anybody could do and say these things given the consequences of doing and saying them without truly believing them, Right. And on any particular person, both of those scenarios are you have some empathy for because if it's a performance, you're like, well, they were trapped by their own success and they feel like there's no way out of it. And, and they've got their entire self, sense of self tied up in the fact that they are this person or this thing or this institution. And maybe that's all they have in life. Maybe they don't have anything else. And if that came crumbling down, that would be it. So they're going to continue to consciously perform this act regardless of how they feel internally or the flip side, they really do believe this. And that is their, you know, that's their defense mechanism against all the bad consequences is they truly, really believe they're doing the right thing. And I don't know which one of those scenarios is scarier. Um, but I'm, I'm conscious of the two possibilities and the fact that they're probably mixed in, in people that were some of it they believe and other parts they know they have to perform. And I mean, that's even just having a little bit of a podcast. It's one of the things on hypercritical that I consciously, uh, you know, that I don't like about it is that people listen to the show and the sort of cult of personality surrounding me and the show and the concept will lead people to put my uh, opinions and pronouncements and ideas, uh, try to put them on that pedestal and try to sort of pen me into the situation where like, I never want to be the guy whose entire career is based on, uh, you know, like Rush Limbaugh is a great example. His whole show is based on, no matter what happens, he's never wrong, right? Even when he's wrong, he's not wrong because he mm-hmm. will reframe it and say, well, really, I was in the right all along. And, you know, like, it's that's that's his entire thing. And you guys are smart enough to see see that and why that is. There's, there's an element of the emperor uh, Emperor's New Clothes to it of saying that, you know, part of it is that all the rest of the people out there see this controversy roiling about this obvious falsehood that I, you know, perpetuated. But you, in, in my, you, the listeners out there, 
you're smart enough to know. You're smart enough, smart enough to see the man behind the curtain and know that I actually was right, even righter than people had could have ever guessed. Or even if you get into a situation where you've done something wrong and you can't get around it, you can just reframe it as like a learning, you know, in the same way that you don't allow the same failings to be reframed in another person's situation. In your own situation, you'll reframe it and say that I've learned from this, that I'm better, and this is what you do. Like, it's just, it's impossible. Like, you can't ever pin down, because that's that's the character, that's the personality. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's natural to try to put people in that position. And I always resist being put in that position, which is why I'm, you know, if... Uh, on the same part, that's we didn't have talked about follow up yet, but that's one of the origins of follow up is to hold myself accountable to go see how many things I got wrong in the last time, and here's some yeah. new information, and what kind of ideas do I have about that, and just kind of like working it out on the air and going through it all. And we haven't talked about if we're going to do follow up on this program, but it seems it seems inappropriate to do. But on the other hand, it's like again, am I, am I being penned in by that because any podcast I'm on has to have follow up, and comparable doesn't have follow up, and somehow it survives. So I feel like it's <laughs> not something I have to do. But it springs from a, a specific inclination I have. I, I think it's fine. You know, I mean, I, I personally, if, if it's just follow up that you want to make, that'd be fine, too. I remember feeling this uh, really acutely during the uh, 2008 elections, which I just ugh, it was. Ugh. I mean, I really felt like I just I just wanted to just not even have the Internet anymore for a while. But, you know, it's just, you know, I you look at somebody like Ann Coulter or you look at somebody like uh, Nancy Grace, or you look at, again, maybe somebody like Rush Limbaugh. And like, it's funny because I don't have cable. Like, I don't watch those things. If I'm in the airport and that's on the screen, I move somewhere else. And it's it's not, it's 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 just, it's hard to describe. You know, people are always wanting to know, like, why do you do this? Why do you not do that? And with me, it's like, well, that, to me, that would be like sitting next to somebody who's farting a lot. Like, I don't have to make a remark to them. I don't have to make a big deal about it, but I'm certainly not going to sit there and, and smell that if I have an option. And that's how I feel about so much of this, like, when people have cable and they just sit there and, like, it just runs all day and they just... Everything seems important. Everything seems urgent. And they start taking all of these people really seriously, even though they are, to my estimation, the news version of pro wrestlers. And like the matter you get at them, the more you're like yelling at the Iron Sheik. And, and then, but then of course, they, people come back and they say, well, you know, but lots of people believe Ann Coulter. So therefore, or I guess you could even say like Jenny McCarthy, let's make it even really serious. But at the same time, it's like it, it, there, there is that element of like, you know what is it uh lard lad you know when he when he gets all big and like just don't look at him the more you look at them (laughs) it's you're looking at them that keeps them real and i i don't i don't have an opinion on that but it's like i feel really uncomfortable sometimes that like uh and i try not to you know i've tried to evolve as a person and not just always be bugging my friends who are always you know really into all this political stuff i've tried to shut up about that even though it drives me a little crazy because my position is like you guys are participating in this media circus and acting like it's serious and real and it's like you're looking for this next thing that comes along that's going to get you feeling very emotional about something for 36 hours. You're going to you're going to burn through that and then go to the next thing. You make your icon green for a few weeks and you just move from one fire to another without having any real investment in seeing something actually change apart from deciding who your new heel wrestler is. And so now I'm Holden Caulfield, but that's how I feel about that. <laughs> Yeah, I see that. You and you struggle with those feelings on Twitter. I struggle sometimes. hard, dude. There's a lot of stuff. Ooh. So here's the thing: not saying anything is difficult, but it has no external. Like you can't show that you're not saying anything. You want people to know that you're not saying anything. <laughs> what? Uh, right? I want to get credit for my no. Yeah, you you want you want to get credit for not saying anything, and so inevitably you say something eventually, and yeah. 
I don't know. I don't look at your uh, your faves or retweets or whatever. But but here's the best thing about that: when you say something about that, some a snark slips out about about the, the same type of stuff you just said, only you know condensed into a tweet and with a little more snark. I would imagine that all the people out there who agree with you leap on the little fave button and the retweet button, and you end up participating in the very thing that you're complaining about yeah, right. by by. Uh, be becoming the focus of your constituency going you now they're rooting for you i don't know you don't want to be the iron cheek you can be a super fly snooker i'll be uh yeah rick flair maybe yeah Yeah. (laughs) and and then and then you regret it and you retreat again yeah (laughs) it's fun to watch but yeah i don't i i see you struggling but it's like you know here's the thing man if it matters if it really matters like do something about it you know like if you're in there if you're in ferguson like and you have like flown to Ferguson to be a witness to history, and you're getting tear gassed and 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 you're on Twitter about it. Like I think that's fundamentally different from thinking that changing your icon to be green is going to save Tehran. Like how did that turn out? Did we ever get that settled? Did we ever? Did we get things? Is that is that all settled now? Is that all done? Colton's icon's still green, so it's not fixed. But people, there's no follow up on this. There's no there's nobody, and not that. Here's the problem. The problem is that if we keep acting like all of these things are as important as we're pretending that some some C-list celebrity from a TV show that nobody watched died and now everybody's crying for a day. It's like it 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 really it drains. I get that that's all part of a kind of performance on all of our part. But there's something about that that's like it's actually kind of sad where it's like, you know, if I mute the word rape, it's not because I think rape is a good idea. It's because I'm really I can only take so much of people shucking and jiving about it on the Internet. Yeah, but everyone has a different tolerance for that stuff. And the people who are participating in it are like everyone is doing what they think is best, right? Whether consciously or unconsciously, right? And so opting out of that is a perfectly valid choice and a choice that a lot of people take. A lot of people take it also by not traveling in those circles, not following those people or whatever. But if you have to mute them or whatever. But the the people who are doing it, like, not only do they think they're doing some good, in a lot of cases they actually are. It's just not the type of, it's not, what what you would want everyone has a thing that they want to do that they think will advance whatever causes they believe i don't in disagree I, I i have to tell you i do not disagree with you and i would actually be interested in talking about that at some point because you in particular have really you and a few other people but you know uh, i don't want to make you the great conquering white male hero but you've had a huge impact on how i think about stuff in the last year i have to tell you and stuff where i would not be persuaded by a lot of public shaming from other people I have taken your example, and I'm not nearly as good at stuff as you are, but a lot of stuff around equality and gender, I'm thinking a lot harder about than I was a year ago. Yeah, and even no. seeing like differences in how I think and see things have really changed in the last year. I'm not, not perfect, and I don't want to pretend to be. I kind of don't care. But I, I, I am different, very different. And I, in that case, I have to say the right hearing the right thing from the right person at the right time can make a difference yeah and that's why i was like the, the thing that i feel like has worked the most for me and it gets back to your idea of people just sitting in front of a particular cable news channel or a pundit or whatever or just like sort of ambiently in the background how either beneficial or harmful that can be depending on whether you agree with or don't agree with the, the, the messages they're listening to but that i feel like is the the way that this stuff works, whether people are conscious of it or not, that if you just sit in a household that uh, shows like, I don't know, the uh, the live broadcasts of the home team baseball team, right? And that's on for your entire childhood. And the announcers are extremely in favor of the home team. 
and always say great things about the great players on the home team and how great the home team is and tend to describe the the uh, visiting team perhaps, uh, you know, graciously, but not quite as well. You will end up a fan of the home team. It will just happen, right? Regardless of whether your parents are fans or whatever. There's, there's no avoiding that. So if you expose yourself to a particular message, regardless of how you feel about it beforehand, because you, you know, you're like, I'm, it's on the background. It's just background noise. Even if you disagree with it, like say you constantly listen to a news channel that you disagree with all the time to, you know, to get outraged or I can't believe that I have to monitor these guys because I'm watching the bad guys or whatever. Exposure to that will change you. And so if you're doing that unconsciously, if you can make a conscious choice to expose yourself to different things, mm-hmm. it will change you eventually in some way. Maybe not in a way you expect, but b- because like you said, especially if you are the type of person who is uh, anti-authoritarian or contrarian or something like that, you don't want someone to tell you anything, but just by mere exposure to things without an attempt to persuade, you will be changed in some way by that exposure. And the way that you are changed will really depend on who you are as a person. Uh, and so... If you feel like there might be something you're missing, expose yourself to a wider range of ideas. The internet is great for that. You can expose yourself to all sorts of, uh, of ideas and see what happens to you because of that and whether you like what's happening to you or not. But whether you like how it makes you feel, sometimes feeling bad is good, sometimes feeling good is bad or whatever. But like that's I found has worked best for me. Um, and again, I'm the type of person who, you know, subscribes to all the magazines and, and goes to the library and looks things up and just wants to know everything about a topic. Uh, but if you don't want to get into into it, just sort of, I mean, for you, maybe it's exposure to, you happen to be listening to podcasts that I'm on and I have to be talking. It's like three mm-hmm. degrees in direct exposure to ideas or whatever. And that I feel like is the only way things change. Like if you just think about, I don't know, like uh, acceptance of gay culture in the United States, how how important it was to have like gay characters on the real world. And then, you know, fast forward many, many years, Will and Grace fast forward many, many years. Like that kind of sort of just exposure to this as a thing that happens in the world, regardless of what's happening around it, like controversies around it, non-controversies, just like the slow buildup of, of this being actually, you know, put out into pop culture changes more people than all these sort of, advocacy in the world and you need both of them or whatever but i for, for people like us maybe i think mm-hmm. just just sort of like coming in contact with this stuff has the most effect and who i mean who knows if it's going it's pushing us in the right direction the wrong direction or whatever but i just like the idea that uh even in our advanced age that ideas i had five years ago are very different than the ideas i have now and that i find interesting it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not as interesting to be like thinking the exact same thing you were thinking five or ten years ago yeah. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Need. Need is a curated retailer and lifestyle publication for men. Each month, Need curates and sells a limited selection of products, things like clothing, literature, furniture, and otherwise, for the discerning gentleman. Rather than offering an innumerable selection, Need sells only 10 to 15 exclusive products per month, while also offering an ongoing array of essentials. Need has just launched its latest volume featuring clothing, accessories, and literature ideally suited for the summer months. There are no subscriptions, services, boxes, stylists, or any of those other gimmicks you hear about. Instead, you just come to Need once a month, see if there's anything there that you like, and you can choose to buy. You could leave, or you can just hang out and read some of the wonderful features. For listeners of Reconcilable Differences, Need is offering 20% off anything on their site with the code HUGEWEEK. 
That's one word, huge, weak. This code will also work at Need's sibling site, Foremost, where they produce small batch American-made clothing for men and women. We'd love for you to visit neededition.com and foremostedition.com and redeem with that code huge week during checkout. And just as a tip from a friend, feel free to harass the live chat because for some reason, the owner of the company, Matt Alexander, still manages it from day to day and he loves podcast listeners. So be sure to pop in at least a couple to six times a day and let him know that you're out there for him as a kind of roving reporter. Tell him I said hi. Our thanks to Need for making so many people so very handsome and for supporting Reconcilable Differences. Yeah, I, I, I've mentioned this before, but um, I remember having this dawning realization when I moved to San Francisco, you know, being surrounded by, uh, well, back then, more, more, more people of color than today, unfortunately. But, um, but being around people, like, everywhere, every walk of life, people of, especially, I'll say, um, like, black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, in all different kinds of positions of power, all the way up and down the ladder, which, you know, living in Florida, most of my young adult life, you just didn't see that. It was really weird. So if there was like a a brassy black lady at the DMV, you really noticed it and thought, oh, she's that kind, right? I mean, that was, that was, that was kind of like how, how people thought about stuff. You could really single people out. If you saw somebody you had to deal with, somebody who was not just even a boss, just any kind of gatekeeper you had to deal with, man, those stereotypes just would come out of the woodwork. And it was so weird to come here and it was to San Francisco and just the Bay Area in general. And it really was like living in the future where it, it, it's not to say that, you know, gender and ethnicity don't matter anymore, but they matter in such a different way. And I have to say, I think a lot of it is, this is really reductive, but it's super duper important uh, based on the amount of exposure. Just if you, you know, it's like what I say to my kid means nothing. It's what she sees a lot that matters. And the same is true for me. If I see people working for very competent African-American people at all kinds of jobs. If I see all these, you know, there's, you know what I'm saying? Like when you're, when you're exposed to that over and over, I guess I'm, I'm trying to under, underscore your point, which is that more than anything you read in a book about Martin Luther, Martin Luther King, see, being surrounded by people who have more money and power than you that are a different color and gender than you is a, is a super interesting experience. And it really made me realize that that really wasn't there. I mean, obviously you can look at the historical precedents and, you know, it's the South, right? <laughs> but, it, but it went deeper than that. It really it was partly an exposure issue. It was jarring. The first time you see two men kissing on the street in San Francisco, at least 10, 15 years ago, it's pretty jarring because you just don't see that a lot other places. So just by dint of that exposure, it stops, it starts feeling less foreign. It feels less weird. It feels less impossible. And so then, funny thing, then the next time you see somebody treating somebody bad because of their race, you go, you have a different feeling than you would, even more so than, like, say, when I was in Florida. Now I really feel that. I'm like, wow, how can you do that? Like, where where are you from that you would say something like that, that you would yell that at somebody on the street? It feels, now that feels completely just uh, beyond the pale. Well, and exposure works both ways because, like, I think of, like, you know, it, Think of my aged, now deceased relatives with more regressive attitudes towards uh, race and gender. Uh, and where did they get those ideas from? It's the environments where they grow up. What do they see every day? What I, you know, obviously, what ideas do they hear from their parents and, and uh, you know and their elders and society? But then also, what is reinforced by what they see? Uh, and any sort of class or income disparity or education disparity reinforces ideas they may already have about what kind of people belong where, right? And so you have to actually counter that with something. That's why I'm, even in the world we live in today, I am 
strongly in favor of like uh, we talk about this in the incomparable all the time and it sounds kind of silly like all these stupid geek parents like worrying about uh, trying to get their kids to see just the right kids movies and curating their collections of media that their children see and stuff like that <laughs> it's like what do, what do you think you're doing like in one respect it's like this is helicopter parenting you just want your kids to like the same things you do you're not doing anything useful just let your kid like what they like uh but I mean, in some ways, it is attempting to change the future by by not just saying if I just if I just let my see, kids see everything that's out there now, they will get impressions that I don't want them to have because the world out there now is not balanced the way it should be. So why am I going out of my way to show my son for like the first several years of his life only movies, only action adventure movies with female protagonists? Why am I bothering to do that? Is this a crazy idea that I have? Like. Is it, is it some, you know, silly, uh, like, it's as if, like, it's not it's not going to help. Like, your kid's going to eventually grow up and figure out that males are the star of all the action movies. And that everything you're showing him is an aberration. Uh, and I agree with that. I'm, I'm trying to do what I can to counter that, to counter that pervasive theme. Because I know he is going to get older and is going to hang out with his friends. And the, and the dominant culture is going to be out there of, like, you know, you throw like a girl and you're a sissy and all the typical you know uh, toxic masculinity things are going to be like i'm going to have such a hard time countering that that i was aggressively programming my son from the day he was born to try to steer him away from where the rest of the world is going to stay. is it going to work is it i mean it's better than nothing right like mm-hmm. it's got to be better and like and you have to go so far in the other direction because you know every other thing that he gets or every other signal he gets from his entire world that he lives in is going to be countered to this and it's just you know, I'm, and now he's double digit age and already I see the conversations that go like you can't you know what it's like to be a kid. You 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 don't care what your parents want you to think. You care what your friends think. Right. And mm-hmm. like that's that's the sort of paternalistic, literally paternalistic, like, oh, this is new little life and I'm going to try to move it ever so slightly in the direction that I, that I want the entire world to go in. Uh, but on a broader scale, like that's that's all of our jobs with each other to try to move things slightly in that direction and mm-hmm. it, it never quite happens the way you want it to and i don't know i like sometimes i just I, I get depressed and feel like everything i'm doing is stupid wankery and it doesn't make a difference <laughs> or whatever but i don't know it's, it's it's better than doing nothing i guess it's also difficult to um it takes a lot of self-awareness and uh pride swallowing to accept that you know Every generation is growing up with something, they have information you didn't have, or they have information in a different way than you had. And I think it's a constant struggle to try and apply my already antiquated ideas about how the the world works um, into, I mean, I'm just here to tell you, uh, I am, I don't, I do not go, I don't, I'm not even on Facebook. I do not go out of my way to keep up on what the kids are into. So like, I try to always be aware that, uh, you know, I'm doing the best I can, my wife's doing the best she can. I assume my kid's doing the best she can when she's up for it. But, you know, you also, you can't discount that the world changes in ways, things that, that, that to us might seem threatening and weird or they're moving too fast or not moving fast enough. It just seems totally normal to a kid today. And, like, to be able to communicate with them and have credibility, you have to keep evolving with them, which I'm, which I'm finding daunting and very humbling is trying to constantly figure out, like, when I need to slow my roll on something I think is just not even something we should even consider. I mean, I have to say, like, now that now I'm this very liberated person in, like, how I feel about screens. I've, that's changed a lot in the last couple of years. 
influenced a lot by, you know, people like Jonathan Colton and watching how he does it. And really feeling like, you've heard me say this, but, you know, I think screens are the, are the new literacy in a lot of ways. You can still get it wrong. But, like, I just I just cringe at the idea of... I sound like such a jerk. I cringe at the idea of somebody feeling like the best thing they can do for their kid is just say, you, you know, no screens, no TV. Because when I was a kid, that was bad. You know? And, like, I just feel like there's... And I... I it's, and I can sit here now and sound really like, you know, sage about it. But in, in truth, it's a constant, like, I'll say weekly struggle to, to feel like I'm learning enough about what's going on and what's out there that not just to keep her from being a pariah, but to keep her uh, a modern person, a contemporary person. And for the, for the exchanges I have with her to reflect an environment that doesn't really care what I think anymore. It, it takes a lot of humility. And in my limited experience uh, with, uh, parents who have that kind of attitude of like um you know it's not hippies but what we, what we think if you have the modern version of hippies like uh you know no television television rots your brain don't sit in front oh the, of the, the, me, the, meta, the meta filter style is this something i'd need to own a tv to understand yeah go go you know go outside and play back to nature back to basics blah blah, blah like uh all organic food stuff like that um my limited experience is only with people like that who have their own biological children. And in those, every case that I've seen, that parenting technique works amazingly well because the children that those people have, have their genes mixed together, right? So, you know, that father and that father mother have those attitudes towards parenting and had this child and it works like a dream because <laughs> the kid is like the parents and they say no TV and, and you know, they, they keep them away from all these modern things and they have them play outside and they make wreaths of flowers and the kids love it and become amazing kids. And like, and those of us with a different set of genes who don't have those attitudes end up having kids like us who tearing them away from a screen would be like tailing their spine out of their back because that's all they want to do is get on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it's like any parenting advice. Like there is no generic parenting advice. You have to parent the kid that you have. And parents like that are much more likely to have kids like that. And, and parents like me are much more likely to have kids like me. And so you cannot apply. I don't think you can mix and match. Like if I had adopted a child that was totally unlike me, and I tried to apply my parenting style to try, like, I think genetics is working in, in favor of parenting. Here. Hmm. And like I said, the, all these parenting techniques seem foreign to us because we know that trying to do that to our kid or here, us trying to do that to our kid, because we are not those parents, right? Even in the case you could say, well, your parenting technique would work if you were, if, if you replaced me with you, because I'm not that kind of parent, because I can't parent in that way. And the same way that it, it, the roles were reversed, like, <laughs> you can't just... You know, you can't raise your child the way someone else is raising their child, and it's probably likely that they can't raise your child the way they're raising their child. And so, I feel a lot better about parenting having seen that. I saw that growing up, luckily. So I like because it. I was raised very differently from some people that I knew, and I was amazed, and I continue to be amazed as those people became adults, how amazingly well-adjusted, nice, kind smart accomplished responsible adults they are and it's like you know what it's because their parents were amazingly well-adjusted nice kind smart people and and the kids are like their parents and it's like you know that's that's one thing parenting it like the whole nature versus nurture thing i don't know what i thought about it in high school but uh seeing people grow up around me and now being a parent myself 
It's pushing me way more towards nature than I was when I was a kid. I don't wow, know. that's that's super interesting. Because uh, you just, I mean, even start with babies. They're they're just so different. You're like, I haven't done anything yet. This thing just came out. You're telling me that I have somehow nurtured this child? No, this is the way this kid is. They came out this way. This is genetics, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can try to nurture all you want, but like, you're like, if you have a kid who, like my children are, predisposed to, uh, or you know, to, to love certain things that that either you or your wife uh, are, are really love, it's not just because they're things that you're interested in. Because you can, you know, you can run the experiment. You have a kid, and you like, I'm I'm not going to expose them to dessert, right? I'm not going to give them a refined <laughs> sugar, ever, right? Um, if one or both parents love dessert, odds are stacked against you that you are a going to be able to pull that off and B are going to have a child who is willing to go along with it. The second they get a taste of chocolate. I worry about the consistency stuff. That's, that's the bugbear for me. And like, so if I'm being snarky about it, I'll say like, well, I worry about the consistency. Now I'm being, I know I'm just being that guy, but like, you know, there are people who are like, well, we know no screens allowed. No. Oh. And you know, and they're always announcing all the things that they're doing so well with the wreath making and the organic foods and the, all of these things. And we all do that. Right. To an extent, but then you just get the sneaking suspicion that like once they're behind closed doors, like it's a totally different scene. That you know, that's, that's what that's you like the, to think to make you feel better, but maybe it isn't. Maybe they are a beautiful, perfect family. It just makes you feel worse. Well, if you don't have a TV, then it's not an option, I guess. Or if you don't have computers that they use, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I just allow. I think I'll always find consistency that to be the most challenging part. You know, of like you know saying something sensible and then doing that consistent consistently. I find very, um, it takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of will. And what's your thing like with the new literacy is that in some respect, and maybe this is a rationalization, but it's also true, like that you want your child to be able to function in the world of today. So we're, you know, you know, screens are going to be a thing. They should be able to work in it. And so the, the defense mechanism against the, the, not just parents, but the people who want to behave in a way that is outside societal norms and not having a television is outside societal norms, not going to the internet. Like if, if people want to behave that way, they are, they're seen as an other. And your initial reaction is to say from, you know, from mild to harsh, like that they are, they're doing something wrong. And the mild version is, uh, if you meet somebody who either doesn't have a TV or didn't have a TV growing up, you're like, Oh, what a sheltered life you must have had. How cruel your parents were. How messed up are you now? Because you didn't, because you didn't experience the same pop culture things that I experienced. Because you know, I know all these television shows and musical groups or whatever, and you don't, and you feel pity on them, which is your kind of like the mildest version of you reacting against this non-conforming <laughs> miniature non-conforming tribe. Because non-conformance is a threat, to, you know, to like. Right. I thought I was normal and now you're doing this and if that becomes the new normal then I'm not normal anymore so you're weird and messed up in some way and if you meet somebody who grew up on a commune with no electricity like you're immediately going to think of them as like weird or different and and like find, try to find something wrong with them I do it myself I know a lot of people who like you know, I, I know a lot of my pop culture influences other people don't share and it's just you know it, it boggles your mind it's like how can you not know about Star Wars it's so important to me and it's not important at all to you and because the majority is on my side you are the weirdo and I'm not uh, and yeah that's I think it's a natural inclination but you know if, in times of self-reflection you can check yourself if given a few seconds to think about it and go is it actually bad or is it just different mm-hmm. uh, like 
and the same, you can't really run the experiment to, to with yourself and say how would have I how how would I have come up in an environment like that? Would I have been better or worse? Like it's well, hard. That's that's hard ludicrous. I mean, it's completely crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. It's a it's kind of a different kind of. Uh, I'm kind of um, hoisting my own petard. I think we can't talk about kids anymore. Yeah, well, I know. That's the thing about. I just listened to. Uh, you ruined everything on the way home from a, a car trip the other day. You know that one? Yeah, love it. Yeah, love and it. that's yeah. He's I don't like that guy. He's too damn smart. But anyway, that how can you not end up talking about it when it is such a such a dominant thing in your life and people who don't. It's have dominant. I mean, like, and that, that's the thing that is. You know, I'm not asking uh, anybody to appreciate it because it's just whatever a dumb thing we do. But like, it, it is. Um, it is very. Um, there's no bottom to it, right? I mean, even doing it poorly takes a ridiculous amount of, of time and effort and concern. And just in my head, like constant, just flipping through all these cards about things I could have done differently. But also, you know, increasingly when, I, when I'm listening to my better angels, also like, like I say, like learning a little bit. Like tomorrow I'll be um, chaperoning a, a field trip. And like every field trip is completely exhausting to chaperone, but I also end up learning something. I learned something about myself. I learned something about my kid. I learned something that like I, I, where I go, you know, I should really, this exposure in that case to this bunch of crazy kids having a picnic, like there's something I'll learn from that. I already know that. I don't even have to have done it yet. And I know I'll walk away going like, that's something I could really be doing differently, you know? And like no feeling that all the time, it's like a permanent rookie. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, definitely. That's parenting is the ultimate experience in never knowing what you're doing. No matter how long and you work on it, it is uh, kind of like, well, I don't know, what's the best example? I, I mean, I would imagine it's like music playing, although I don't know about that. It's well, like I, computer chess. Like, it, it'll always beat you. It's just like how much better you get until you get beaten by a better part of the program, a smarter robot. That's a depressing way to think about it. But <laughs> Yeah, it is. <laughs> Especially now that my daughter is beating me at chess. I make a lot of really dumb moves, and I don't think about it. I play too aggressively. And she just she just sweeps up. She it's, legitimately it's, beating you. She's. Um, I used to not try a hundred percent when we first started playing no stress chess. Now it's mostly I think that I'm I'm not paying a hundred percent attention. I don't love playing chess. She really likes it, but I will be concentrating pretty hard. And I'm not good at it, so I'm trying to think ahead. And then she, what she does do legitimately is, and not to take anything away from her estimable estimable <laughs> seven year old chess skills, but I I screw up. I move, I move a guy and I don't think about it. And she goes, checkmate. And that's it. She moves in. I didn't even see it. I didn't even see you. It's the bishop. The bishop is what gets me. <laughs> she gets my bishops and then her bi- bishops just make mincemeat out of me. Eventually she'll start beating you real legit and then you'll know it's over. It's well, I, I'm not going to sit here and, and try to be that particular guy, but it's pretty legit. It's pretty like, wow, I really need to think more about what I'm doing here. I get distracted. We're listening to Harry Potter while we're playing, and I get confused. <laughs> we should explore, um, perhaps in the time we have remaining, we should explore um, maybe some of our historical uh, different stuff. We had a lot of good topics here, if that appeals to you. Yes, pull one out of that. Well, we had several things we wanted to talk about with regard to being uh, each of us being late bloomers about different things. Uh, and you had questions for me about dr- drugs and music. Uh, I always have questions for you about video games and tech stuff and uh, certain kinds of pop culture stuff. I also have an entire area you probably saw here called Other People. I, I would like to talk about the-, the evolution of dealing with other people at some point. Yes, this is a list of topics, and it is your job to pick one. Gosh, jeez, man. 
I'm a t- tough taskmaster. I know. Man, so so I'm the one that has to pick. Yeah, that's right. I'm not sure what you want to know about military school, oh. but I, I think that's interesting. See, I, you're so sandbagging, much. man. I know. So I much. know. I know. I, all these topics are good. Are you 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 picking military school? Or you're just listing them again. All the great topics. I would talk about military school. I would also. I think video games is too much to even start on. Uh, this late in the in the game. Yeah, keep keep dwelling on that one. That's a big one. And I don't want to make it about me, but I would be happy to discuss drugs or military school if that would kick things off. Also, we get a lot to talk about with anime. Yeah. All right, so I'm gonna, let's go with military school. Military school. Yeah. So you went to military <laughs> school. Most people do not go to military school. Most people don't know what military school is. I don't even have to check. I think that's correct. Yeah. What What is it? Uh, military school is usually a boarding school, sometimes a day school. Um, and in, in this case, it was run, it's usually run by some, uh, you know, affiliated, you know, you got ROTC, right? And in this case, um, it was a school run by, or, or I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it got its credentials from NJROTC, Naval Junior ROTC, Reserve Officer Training Corps. And uh, it was fifth grade to 12th grade. And there was an upper school and a lower school. So there's fifth to eighth grade boys, I think. And then nine, ninth to twelfth grade boys, something like that. So it's all boys, right? All, well, now, now, yeah, it's co-ed now, if that's the term. But back then, yeah, 1979, it was all boys. Um, and it's it's pretty full on. I mean, it's it's one thing to know is it. So it's Admiral Farragut Academy in St. Pete. You might have seen the one in Tom's River. Uh, New Jersey advertised in Boys Life. That's the more famous one, I think. Um, but it's, it's it's so on the one hand, it's not like where you send a kid who's been jacking cars. Um, it was very expensive. There were a lot of like sons of Venezuelan oil barons that went there. <laughs> Wait, why is it, why is it not the place you go to send the kid who was stealing cars? Because it was like five grand a year. But like, wouldn't that be, you have the the troubled child, but you're from a rich family? Like, isn't isn't it exactly the place? Where they sent, it's a place where you'd send kids to make them have some. I didn't mean to make right? that as a, as, a, as a class or economic argument. I meant more as it's not like a reform school. Like yes, there's military discipline and stuff like that, but I didn't don't think of it as a place. It's not like you know, it isn't like going into the military. Well, it is in a lot of ways. Yeah, I guess it could be. It could be. There it's, was certainly not, a lot of troubled like kids. Bound, like where you, the troubled teens go. You're not so. cutting trail. No, it's not. It's not like that. Uh, but no, but it was full on military. I mean, um, there were some day students that lived in St. Pete in the area, but, um, almost everybody lived there fifth to 12th grade. And so when did you go there? I was there 79 to 80, which is seventh grade. And just, just one year. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, this is this a story? Is this why it was just one year or was it just one year through no fault of your own? I just... Uh, I got sold a bill of goods. I thought it was going to be something really different. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Did you voluntarily go to military school? Yeah. You you requested this from your parents? You said, you know, um, I'm this about is a compli- to enter. This is a very complicated story, John. I got to know you're in, in, in it for the in it to win it. All this right. Is, all right. Go for it. A lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have you. So, no, I'd lived in Ohio. My mom remarried. We moved to Florida. And I'm not sure quite how this came along. I, I will tell you that I do specifically remember... My mom having the feeling, because I was a straight-A student and a brilliant child, that we were going to basically go and interview like the local junior highs to see which one we would allow to have me. <laughs> um, 
And I, I, I have a pretty clear recollection. As a, an outfit I once described on You Look Nice Today, I was wearing white painter's pants with a striped shirt and Mork suspenders. I, I do remember that very clearly, going to these interviews. And going in there and like showing up over the summer and the, the people there being like, uh, what, what did you want? Did you need to register? It's like, well, no, no, we just want to talk to the principal, you know, talk a little bit about the school, about the academics and, you know, how things go here. And uh, there was one place where there was like one guy there in like work clothes doing like, uh, you know, yard stuff. There was no infrastructure in place for people from Ohio to interview the junior high over the summer. So my mom just wrote that one off. This place is not professional. Like we're going somewhere else. The other school we went to, we went and we met with Principal Crin, Wendell Crin, and uh, and he could not have been more of a straight shooter. Like he's basically like the anger captain, like from every 80s movie. And he was a real straight shooter. He's like, Mrs. Man, we just do the best we can here every day. There's going to be smoking. There's going to be drugs. There's going to be problems. We just do the best we can every day. And it was like... <laughs> your son <laughs> might get pregnant. Let me level with you. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. If your son doesn't know how to protect himself, he uh, he, he might just be having a baby. So These um, are public schools so far? These are two public schools. The two public schools that I can yeah, go to. Do you interview a public... Isn't everything districted? Like You don't have a choice of public schools, did you? Or are you just deciding where to move? Well, we were very used to to you know exceptions being made for me. I'm very special. <laughs> yeah, right. We would go. We would go. Have you seen the suspenders? Huh? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Easy on the Pepsi Fuller. But um, so anyway, long story short, we uh, learned about this place in St. Petersburg called Admiral Farragut Academy, and we got the brochure. It looked really cool. I'd been kind of into military stuff before that. I was very into like pretending I was in the army and making my bed and stuff like that. Um, plus, I was terrified <laughs> that, of authority. That's the part of the, being into the army that you that you uh, honed in on, not the tanks or the guns or the airplanes, no, but no, the no, making no. your bed really neatly. Yeah, it was really all about like mess halls <laughs> and <laughs> and bunks, and you get a trunk with a lock on it. And I had a book out of the library on uh, the army that I'd gotten back in Ohio that I, I would check out over and over. And uh, it just seemed very ordered. I was very attracted to like how organized everything was because that's not how I felt at home at all. And so anyway, my despotic stepfather uh, thought it was a really good idea for me to go there. I was pretty into it, but it was it was really like something from an 80s comedy where like as soon as I was walking through the door, I was like, whoa, this is a bad idea. I should not be here. And it was it was a rough year. It was a rough year. So what about what about it told you that you that this is not what you thought it would be? Upon people entering? were people were very stern. There was a lot of um, military style uh, yelling and and talking and being you know it's one thing to be like you know I was used to being scared of authority and then being rewarded for that. I was not used to the kind of provocative like we're just going to mess with you kind of environment that you would get at a place like this. Do you think they were actually sort of actively cruel or was it just that you needed way more positive reinforcement that you were, you were accustomed to more positive reinforcement for being a, a beautiful special snowflake than you were getting? Could, could be both. I think, I think that mostly these were guys who had like a pretty easy job, a free place to live. And, you know, with minimal credentials, you get to be a school teacher. Like, I think it was required less credentials than, like, working in a public school. These were not people from the military, by and large. There was one really crazy Vietnam vet guy. Um, but everybody else there was just, like, pudgy guys, you know, from the Northeast. And um, it was just, it was way, I guess, I don't know what it was. But, I mean, I, I was, I, just to be honest, like, I was terrified and I was horribly, horribly homesick. I just, because I, I, I missed Ohio. I missed my mom. My mom was busy starting a new business with my despotic stepfather. And I was just, I was incredibly lonely and felt really alienated. And uh, 
it's just not a you know being uh, 12 years old and i was just kind of starting to figure out the girl thing a little bit i mean i figured it out for a while i'd had crushes on girls since first grade but i was starting to feel like it's something i might actually be able to act on and th- there was no exposure to that apart from dance lessons and so i guess your 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 intellectual faculties were not gi- not valued let's say did you feel like that you were not uh, the the things that made you a beautiful special snowflake were not valued and not allowed to bloom in this environment, or was it mostly just that you were twelve years old and away from home for the first time? That's a good question. I the the intellectual or the um, academic part was fine. I had straight A's the whole year. I was awarded the Radford Star because I had straight A's all year. Um, I was the only student in my entire company of all fifth to eighth graders that didn't have a demerit for the entire year. I was the only one. Um, and, uh, I was, I was just, I was terrified of doing anything wrong. I was terrified of being singled out. I was just scared. Like every day they come and inspect your room while you're in classes and they post a report of like how everybody's room, you know, fared in the inspections. So like we had, you know, we had to get up at five thirty or six every day and clean our room before, you know, like clean the room, like, like mop the floor, like, <laughs> And it was, I mean, in some ways, I'm sure it was good for me. I made some really good friends. Um, I had some great experiences, but it was uh, it was just a bad cocktail of alienation. And it wasn't, as far as to, to your question, though, it wasn't that they thought, it wasn't that I wasn't being rewarded for being smart, because I was. I mean, I, I, I because I had really good behavior and good grades, I, I got to do lots of stuff that only, like, the special kids got to do. But... It was that there's there's no amount of doing my best and getting good grades and, and being on best behavior. There's no amount of that that could sort of inoculate me from still being treated like just another kid who had to be yelled at. And I, I found that intolerable. It, it just made me so sad. It was really difficult. So just the sort of dehumanizing discipline that you were expected to do what you were told and doing it to the letter did not, there was no positive reward for it. There was just a lack of negative. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. And, you know, you know, f- funny things that maybe people in later generations would learn when they or earlier generations would learn when they joined the army but like for example you've certainly heard this in movies and this was actually a thing at school if you're in a formal environment like if you're in um like if you're uh you know doing like a drill exercise or you're in any kind of like you know at any point somebody can go attention and like everything changes and now everything's official like there's no shucking and jiving everything we go by the official rules and according to the official rules if somebody asks you a question do you know do you know what the three possible answers are Sir, yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. No excuse, sir. And so... Is no excuse an answer? No excuse, sir, is the third answer. I have no excuse. Oh, they ask you why something is not the way it's supposed to be? You're missing You're missing the Kobayashi Maru of this. So somebody says to you, um, Cadet, did you, um, did you mop the floor in your room this morning? Yes, sir. Um, did Cadet uh, Bondi assist you with that? No, sir. Um... How many stars are in the sky? No excuse, sir. That's exactly the answers that you can give. <laughs> yeah. Well, and obviously you see where they're going with this. Now, if they actually want to find out something about uh, astronomy, they could pull you aside in a less formal environment. But when you're in that environment, it's just, it's really, it's pretty much what you'd guess, which is like, you've just got to be the most obedient automaton and hope you don't get noticed, you know? And, you know, there weren't, there wasn't like beatings or anything like that, but there was all kinds of, you know, uh, restrictions that you could be under. You couldn't leave if you, if, and I, I never had this cause I was perfect, uh, perfect from fear title. <laughs> um, <laughs> was that, you know, you might not be able to go off campus, you, you know, you might not be able to go to the mall that week or something like that, but you know, you're in uniform all the time 
um, there's a uniform for gym. And the only time that you could wear uh, civvies was when you are actively about to leave or were actively returning from, from campus. But like within half an hour of arriving at school, you had to be back in uniform. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is sponsored in part by Hover.com. We love Hover because Hover is quite simply the best way to buy and manage domain names. Give it a try. You'll see what I'm talking about because they give you exactly what you need to find the perfect domain for your new idea. They take all the hassle and confusion out of getting that name registered. It is simple, safe, secure, and private. And that's the what? I guess quadrifecta. Hover has all the top-level domains you'd expect. They got the classics like .com, .co, .net, and .me, but they also have so many of those new TLDs you've been hearing about. You can get .buzz, .poker, .farm, and yes, you can even go and buy yourself a domain name ending in .phishing. You're welcome, Matt Alexander. At Hover, there's no mystery meetup cells or creepy add-ons. You'll get a smart control panel, plus who is privacy is always added free to every domain that supports it. Hover even offers a free valet transfer service. And what, what this does is it makes it super easy for you to move your domain names from wherever they are now. You give these folks your creds. They will take care of this for you. You will not have to go fight a big guy uh, in a hallway to try and get your name back. They will, they will fight for you. You, 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 can, you can tell them I said that. Uh, all you need to know is that Hover takes your work and your business seriously. It shows them what they do. If you ever do need a hand, Hover has the best customer support around. They have a no-wait, no-hold, no-transfer phone service. That means when you call, an actual person will pick up an actual phone and talk to the actual you until you get actual help. Actually. You dig around a little more, you'll find Hover has much more great stuff. They have volume discounts for bulk domain renewals. You can get custom email addresses, storage and forwarding. It's all in there. So if you're in the market for some sweet new domains or you're ready to move your current domains to a place that treats you like a grown person, please try Hover. You can get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for reconcilable differences by going to Hover.com and using the special offer code CORRECTIONS at checkout. That code is CORRECTIONS. I hope I said that correctly. Uh, our thanks to Hover for making pretty much everything about it, domain names just such a breeze and for supporting reconcilable differences. So this is only a year of your life, and yet I've heard about it so much that it seemed like a much larger influence. It looms larger in the story of your life as uh, as interpreted by me through your podcast than it, than it does timeline-wise. But I guess it had a profound effect on you. I mean, it seems like you still like the the things about order and neatness and formality. <laughs> I'm going to send you a picture of my desk. No, no, um, no, but you're, you're, what you're targeting on, I think, is that... Um, I mean, obviously, it's it's an interesting and notable fact to go, oh, you went to military school. And in my case, like, you really don't seem like the kind of person that would thrive in military school or be attracted to military school. Tell me more. The other thing to get out of that, obviously, was that, you know, I had just, uh, this is a different story for a different day, but excuse me, my mom had married this guy, a, guy, a family friend who she reconnected with in June of 1979, reconnected, like, re-saw him again for the first time in June of 1979. He's, he's widowed. She's widowed. August, we moved to Florida. September, I start military school. Boom, boom, boom. Like it was, it was that fast a succession of like moving my grandmother out of her house, moving us out of our our house. Like that entire summer was just like a blur of activity about tearing up roots and going somewhere else. And it was, it was really tumultuous. 
So that's why I only say that in the service of saying like it, it seems like more than a year or it seems bigger than a year because it kind of was there was. And of course, you know, and again, I'm 12. Like, is there a more pivotal like single year in a kid's life than like 12 to 13? I guess it varies. But for me, you know, I, it's it always is interesting for me to think about how things would be different if I had gone to school in Ohio, public school or gone to public school in Florida. Or, you know, it's it was a it was a pivotal year. It was a it was a it was a I was saying on a, uh, on today's Roderick on the line with John, like I kind of wish I could do a do over <laughs> on that year, <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't all bad. But you know, even on your best day when you're 12, everything kind of sucks. What would you do differently if you could? Uh, assuming you can't change where you move to or who your mother marries. Yeah, I don't know because then I went to junior high, public junior high, a year later, and it was oof, it was bad. I mean, I just like, I just didn't try. I just didn't try at all. I was, I was terrible. I mean, I was in advanced English, but I was not trying at anything else. Whereas before, like I really, I mean, I, I did really well when I was a kid. I was thought to be a smart child when I was a kid. And then by the time I got to eighth grade, that just like, that just went out the door, you know? Is that, um, was that your own doing? It was like in military school, you said you were still, you know, you were afraid. Uh, and so you did everything right and you got good grades. And then just the year after military school, you're like, you know what? F this. I don't care. Right. Well, I, I still, I feel like I had, in addition to the usual stink of weirdo that you have when you're 13, I kind of felt like I had an extra bit of that because I hadn't gone to seventh grade with everybody else. You know, it's really, I mean, so this is where, you know, you get middle school and, and uh, junior high. This is junior high. So, the 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 jump from sixth grade to seventh grade is a really important jump, and a lot of stuff happens when you're in your seventh grade class, don't you think? I mean, for better or for worse, but you learn a lot about like where you are in the pecking order and like how everything works. And to come into that a year late, I felt like I never caught up. I felt you know as behind as I felt on everything my whole life. It was really worse in whatever 1980 when I was like, ah, what is this? I don't understand. All the girls are like women here, and the boys are giant and i don't understand the system i don't like molly hatchet this is really really weird <laughs> wait so how did you get out of military school did you just basically come home and say mom i don't like it I'm not, i don't want to go next year yeah i just said from from the beginning i mean i i didn't want to make her feel bad because she already felt really bad about a lot of the aspects of it but i was i was like no 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 way and it didn't it didn't hurt that it was really costly i mean you know i don't have wolfram alpha open but you know five thousand dollars in uh 1979 dollars it's, it's a, it a lot of dough but i don't know i does I don't, that, that might just be leading to more questions than answers well, yeah I guess, but so, but. so you come out of military school like doesn't doesn't this involve some uh, sort of talk with your parents about all right so you didn't like military school but you went there and you i mean all the reports from school must have been good like you know your son is behaving he's doing well yeah i got along great yeah, filling all the requirements, and yet he says he doesn't like it. Fine. Well, he's a good student. He doesn't want to go here, and it's expensive. You can go to public school. You go to public school, and your grades are not as good, right? Well, we went back to Wendell Crin. We went back to Ridgewood to talk with Principal Crin and say, "Well, I think we're ready. We're ready to go here now." <laughs> <We've>, <laughs> you are the bottom of the barrel, and we are scraping it. He was really thrilled to have us back. This is a man who had a paddle hanging in his office. This is you know 1980. Um, and so I went because they had this accelerated program. The remember back when we didn't want to call things accelerated or anything like that. So they had DEO, the D differentiated educational opportunities. <laughs> and so I was in DEO English, which I mean it was wasn't hard. It was just it wasn't anything. It was just silly, you know. I mean even then we were kind of phoning in in with the public schools, but 
no so so but i mean i think also honestly i think some of it was my mom really missed me too um having me and i understand so i, I didn't say this i should have said this I, you know st pete and um newport ritchie the hour and a half right so like i was an hour and a half from home i could go home on some weekends but it was pretty rare it wasn't more than once every five or six weeks and, you know, they might visit, but they were busy. They were starting a new business. So I think my mom missed me. My mom felt bad. And I just, I couldn't cover up the fact that I was just really unhappy there. Even though, you know, and it got better as it went along. I got some rank, you know. I got, uh, I, I got, uh, I forget what I, I was a squad leader at one point. So I felt like I was, you know, making my way there. And I became very competitive. Like, I, it was it was a very competitive school. Like, you really wanted to be at the top of everything. And I kind of thrived in some ways because what was I going to do other than that? What was I going to do other than try to be the best? But, you know, and there's also kind of, you know, there's the girl issue. Not, not to say too much about it, but it was pretty weird to just go to a school with boys. Yeah, talk about uh, in the late bloomer section. If you had not gone to military school, I think, I think that uh, accelerated precipitated your blooming in many aspects by forcing hmm. you into a situation that was not uh it made you grow up fast sounds like it made you grow up faster than you would have or you might have otherwise especially and, and i find like you're saying oh boy that that year when you're 11 or 12 like a, such a pivotal year i i think it probably depends on where your school splits are like where does elementary school end where does middle school begin uh, is there a differentiation between middle school and junior high, or is it just one school between elementary school and high school? And where are those dividing lines? And they're, they're basically arbitrary, as we all know from like the different rates at which kids mature. The, you know, do you does elementary school end at fifth grade or sixth grade? Right. Uh, it doesn't really matter because it all depends on where you are in those grades. But that uh, that I feel like is the big dividing line from childhood going into the terrible years. And you went right from elementary school into into military school, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was your dividing line, and that made you uh, do that leap at a it, plus with all the moves and everything else at, at a time that, that that was that was the pivot moment in your life, and the, the fact that the pivot moment was military school without any girls, uh, probably. Yeah, it was def- definitely a pivot. I mean, I, I've asked Roderick about this. What do you think? What do you think is worse, middle school of six to six through eight, or junior high of seven through nine? Which one do you think is more difficult? Because I, 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 I got an answer. If you, where are you before going into junior high? You would just in elementary school, right up uh, K through six, and then you right, go right. seven through nine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like my my kid will go to a, a middle school because um, it's you know six through eighth here. I, I think it's I think six through eight is unquestionably more crazy in terms of the delta between different developments, regardless of who who you are and where you are. You know, because again, I mean, just like the the difference between like, think about like the littlest sixth grader and like the biggest eighth grader, and it's it's bananas. And I think that's still there with seven to nine, but not quite as much. Yeah, I'm, I'm a sixth grader is really a child. I'm influenced by my own obviously the only own experiences. My kids haven't gone through it yet, and I just went through it myself. And I feel like the longer you can extend childhood, the more shelter it gives the slower developing kids. So I am in favor of doing K through six at least, mm-hmm. right? Just to give cover for those kids who are not ready to, because if you're all in the same school, especially if you're in a school with kindergartners and it's a school that you went, like it will it will keep the children children longer because mm-hmm. it is socialized within that school that this is how children behave. And even if children are maturing towards the top end or whatever, 
they can continue to act like kids because the rest of the school are all acting like kids. Eventually, you have to be thrown to the wolves. Eventually, puberty comes for us all, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I feel like the sixth grade, the longer you can keep that, the better off it is because if you are thrown to the wolves of puberty too soon, (laughs) it can have a profound effect. And so... Uh, like my son, uh, my elementary school up, goes up to, to fifth, and he's going to go into sixth, and that's going to basically be middle school. And I know I in, when I was a sixth grader, I was unprepared for anything having to do with anything outside the realm of like elementary. Like I was a kid in sixth grade. I was absolutely 100% a child in sixth grade. I, and if you would put me in a middle school, I have no idea what the hell that would have done to me. It was hard enough for me when I was in seventh grade, but at least I had a clue then. Yeah. Right? And so... I, that's how I always feel about it is like delay that as long as you can. And then once you're in that environment, eh, if it's two years, three years or whatever, you're going to be a mess. Like it doesn't even matter. And I, I my middle school was just seventh and eighth, which ble- I feel like blessedly cut short those terrible years. Because once you go mm. into ninth, you get the second chance to make a fresh start. Even if you're not really done like figuring stuff out, it's like, well, right, those two years, we're just never going to speak of them. Right, we're all right, just that's, like, that's the that's the cutting trail years. That's that yeah. many things can go wrong era. Right, and you just don't want to talk about. It. And then ninth grade is like, okay, re- do over, reset. I get four years to get this right, and let's just go forward from there. And, and is that just because it's the way I did it that I think that's best or whatever? I don't know. I'll we'll see how my kids go into it. I, I think it really also depends on the school environment because, I mean, you talked about your experiences in military school, but like. Do you think that school is the same way now, that exact school, if you went there and, and, and like, if you could transform back into a little kid and, and attend that school in the same grade level, would it feel the same as it did? No, I bet I, the teachers... I, I bet it's uh, very different. I mean, I bet that principal, what's his name, does not have a paddle on his wall. He's probably dead or retired now. But anyway, there's no paddle on the wall, for one thing. Right. So things do change, right? Uh, and, I, you know, th- the experience that, that my kids are having in elementary school is very different than the experience that I had at elementary school. And so different. It, in a positive way, that the teachers are more understanding, more nurturing, seems like much more individualized attention. Um, and this, again, public school in all cases, right? Uh, so I'm hoping that we're making some progress there. Well, and talk about like seeing the world differently based on like, you know, what you've been exposed to. You know, we don't talk last time about that whole thing of like the roving bands of bullies. Like that was like a thing. I mean, it was, there was like genuinely like dangerous stuff going on in the school. And I have to think that they... I mean, look at Mr. Crin. Like he knew, he knew that like what was happening there. I mean, there's only so much that he could do about it. And I think there was also a sense of again back to the, this this crucible kind of feeling that like, well, that's what this is. You know what I mean? Not so different in some ways from almost like a like a jail or a prison. It's like, well, that's that's what this is. This is a place where people get turned into bigger people, and these are the things that happen in here. We do the best we can, but like this is not going to be a garden party. I almost felt like it was. Uh... Uh, not just like, well, you know, we do what we can, but we can't stop that. But they wouldn't want to stop that. That is a that is a tool, <laughs> a tool of the oppressors to to uh, you know demand conformity. Is that yes, they will be roving packs of bullies. They serve an important function in the school. If I could snap my fingers and eliminate them, I wouldn't because I think it's really important for you not to be a wimp. I like that right. that was the impression. I hate to admit it, I think you're right. I I it's so dark. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, but also then setting aside things like looking at things like, you know, like I say, the most a lot of the teachers at the military school were just schlubs wearing uniforms. But the people who ran the school were veterans. They were veterans of World War Two and the Vietnam War in Korea, especially Korea. And, you know, I have to imagine that's pretty different today. If you're at a school in Florida in the age of, you know, Facebook and it's being run by maybe some Gulf War guys, I bet it's a real different environment. 
who knows? Who knows? But, you know, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the, you should get to be a sixth grader in elementary school. You know, it's like being a, it's like a little kid version of being a senior. You should get that year, you know? And I, but see, the reason I doubt my, my own experiences here is because, again, I get back to how different elementary school appears to, my kid's elementary school appears to me than my elementary school was. And I think, well, like maybe in sixth grade, though, like, you know, we went on the tour of the middle school, like the sixth grade is kind of kept away from the other animals, right? You know, like right, 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 right. They, they do, it's in a protected area. And they don't, they don't throw them into gen pop. Yeah, they, they do. And, and my kid's elementary school, I don't know if they do this in your kid's school too, but they do a thing where older grades are buddies for younger grade students. So when you're in kindergarten, you have a third grade buddy. And when you're in like second grade, you have a fifth grade buddy. And at some points you are the one who has a buddy. And then l- later on in your school career, you are one of the buddies to the younger kids. Doing stuff like that to foster a sense of community and protectiveness among the kids and then in sixth grade being kind of isolated i don't know if they have a buddy system there or whatever but just like a better understanding of like that this is a thing we're all going through and let's let's be respectful of the experience and that all the kids involved and know how hard it is to have been in that position in the past and all like it just seems much more nurturing and nice i mean maybe that's because i'm an adult now and oh it seems so nurturing and nice and it's just it's a it's a den of wolves when you're in it i don't know sure my kids sure as hell aren't gonna tell me so Maybe I'm just fooling myself into thinking that, but it it definitely seems kinder and gentler, and I think that's a huge benefit. I am not in the the school of thought that says that if there's not roving packs of bullies, you're never going to become a man or a woman or whatever. I think that's BS. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, I like to go early sometimes and just kind of peek in like a real creepy guy, and I'll just sort of observe different groups as I'm walking in. Walk, I'll kind of try to watch my kid from a distance and see what she's doing just to get a sense for you know what's happening. Um, and I... Again, who knows how much of this is, as you say, like, you know, misremembering or selective noticing or just being an adult. But I think it's vastly different. I mean, and again, who knows? Maybe it's just I don't know. But I mean, even in my very well-funded elementary school back in Ohio, like there were still just there. There was everybody knew who the bullies were. And it wasn't like they were deposed. It wasn't like throwing Chuck Johnson off of Twitter. Like they were, they were the bullies, and it was like, okay, stop doing that. No, 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 you got to quit that. But they just kept doing it. Just don't, for, don't do it when I'm watching. Right, right, right. Have, have the have the sense to respect me and like go do this somewhere, you know, where I'm smoke, where I'm not smoking. <laughs> that covers a lot of ground. My God, I, yeah, the military to school thing still opens up more questions than it answers. But that is, is it good to have that nailed down instead of vaguely alluded to the. The mysterious year of military school. I hope you have a good picture of that that we can put up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, did you, um, how is it different from what, let's wrap up soon, but what what did you, how is it different from what you expected or anticipated? Do you you think I went there because I was trouble? I thought it was longer, and I definitely would not have guessed that this is something that you wanted to do. Not so much that you were sent there as punishment, but just it seems, (laughs) military school always seemed to me, knowing nobody who ever went there besides you, seemed to me a thing that parents would send their children to for their own good. Not because you were trouble, but just because, like, the same reason people would send their kids to, like, an exclusive prep school or whatever. They feel like this is the way kids should be raised, and once you get old enough, it's time for you to learn about discipline and order and honor and all the things that you learn and, you know, whatever. Like, and and that whether you, you know, maybe you didn't hate it or anything, you're not being sent there because you're in trouble, but surely this is a sort of parental activity imposed upon you for your own good and that Mm -hmm. it was a long-running thing and it was just a thing you had to do because everyone knows in the man family you go to military school. Well, I'm trying to be kind to the dead, uh, but my despotic stepfather, um, <laughs> yeah. I think he probably thought, I think it was, I, 
you know, I'm trying to evolve as a person, John. I think he thought it was a great idea. He was even willing to pony up the dough to do it. I think he, I think he thought I was an out of control pussy and mama's boy. I, I'm pretty sure he felt that way. He sure made me feel that way. And I suspect that that was uh, his idea of, well, kind of a coup, really, because he got to go have my mom be with him, you know, exclusively with me out of the picture, not being annoying, not being snarky, not playing really funny practical jokes on him. Um, and then on the, uh, but I would also be going somewhere to achieve that where I would get some structure, right? And get some, get some discipline or whatever. You know what I mean? It probably seemed like a real coup for him. Did he tell you that? Did he basically, or are you just getting this vibe from him? Did he say, this is going to be good for you? Well, I, I think he was pretty excited about it. Uh, we all thought it was kind of a neat idea. You know, here's the other thing that I'm not really teasing out. I make these cracks about going to visit these public schools. Nothing, I, I don't, I, I feel like I, I know I'm very hard on certain aspects of life in Florida, especially in Pasco County where I lived. Um, I don't mean to just take pot shots, but com- just to be honest, like looking at, like I, I, you know, I finished sixth grade in Ohio. So I'd been on a tour of the public school that I was going to go to um, for junior high school. I mean, I'd seen there. It wasn't. It was. It looked like room two twenty two. That's probably too old a reference for you. It looked like an old big school, like you'd see in someplace like Cincinnati. It was not pretty, um, and it definitely didn't have like the little chairs and stuff. Like this is a this is a big kid place to go, but it wasn't like unknowable. Visiting those schools in Pasco County, like even though my the the junior high I ended up going to had only been built three or four years earlier, like super duper modern. We didn't have a library. We had a media center, beep boop. And like, even still, like there was something kind of <sighs> about the place. There was something kind of resigned and something, something kind of just like there was the air had been let out of any of the ambitions these people <laughs> had to make make this a great place. I mean, like the guy who became the film critic for the local paper was a teacher there. There were a lot of people where they were either landing at this job because that's where they ended up or it was a springboard to whatever their next thing was going to be. This is so unkind. But it, it didn't really have that same feeling of like there were certainly dedicated teachers, 100%. But it was so vastly different from what we'd been used to in Ohio. And it just didn't seem like they took it seriously. It really seemed a little bit like, I don't know, like doggy daycare. Like, it just seemed like a place where you just took kids to get them out of the house for a few hours and, you know, hopefully have them not commit crimes. You didn't feel like that this this academic experience was shaping you to get into Harvard. Like, the, the goal was that all these kids are going to come to school and they're going to get the education and the activities and all the skills they need to get into a good college. Didn't feel like this was a launching pad for a future academic career. If that was there, I didn't feel it. Uh, what I definitely felt was, and you've heard me talk about stuff like a vocational wheel, like you've got to learn a little bit about all these different trades. I mean, I, I remember feeling at the time, I've said this, I, I honestly felt like this is a place where we go to, where to the extent possible, they ensure we'll never be a burden to society. Like there's not an unlimited horizon out there, guys, but we're at least going to show you how to keep a steady job. That that's what it felt like. I, I was a picture of vocational wheels like a shape sorter for people, and there's this giant infant just putting you into the little. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine more like a torture device. <laughs> now we will work through the health sciences. <laughs> that the vocational wheel stuff that always reminds me of like that's not even your era. That's like your parents' era. It's like the fifties. Totally, like totally. Come into it, and then they would, and then they would just 
find out what kind of, or, or even like dystopian science fiction, find out what kind of, uh, you know, are you going to be a, a worker bee, a drone, or like, it's like, which, which, which one of these things are you going to be? I'm a cobbler. Like, <laughs> I'll make shoes. I fix automobiles. <laughs> like, and those, like, those are the, those are the boundaries of your world are the, the stops on the vocational wheel. There's nothing that's not on the wheel that you could possibly be. Never mind that most of the things on this wheel probably aren't even jobs anymore. Oh, I've thought about that so much. I mean, I first learned to touch type in uh, business administration, it was called. That's what I had in eighth grade, which is like secretary class. Oh, it's also so funny, the gender stuff. You know, business administration was, was a secretary class. That's what it was. I mean, that, that was pretty much it. It was like learning like how to alphabetize, you know, the fancy way, how to do 10 key, um, basic, 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 not even like lowercase, I'm talking lowercase b, basic computer stuff, like basically how to put a disk in and stuff like that. But uh, no, you're absolutely right. It felt like something from, completely from another era, even at that time. This is right at the time when computers are really on the ascent. This, this is like the beginning of the information age in a lot of ways. At least it sure felt like it from like what I was reading. But um, no, it couldn't have been further from how it felt. It, you know, and again, I, I can't, you'd have to talk to other kids who'd been there, but I never really had that. I never felt that feeling of like, Maybe because I didn't deserve it, but I didn't feel that sense of like, oh, you could do anything. Like your horizons could be anywhere. Like, you know, no, it was more like, like here's like, you know, let's watch Here Comes the Metric System. Like here's a thing about like not overdosing on drugs. So maybe that's the job of junior high, you know, in, in some ways. But And also, so like before military school, you were on the, the, the tour with mommy and the tour was my son is brilliant. <laughs> and is going to lead this country someday and he He's needs to be he needs to be in the best possible educational institution so i would like to tour your fine institution to see if it's worthy of my son did that did you feel like that went away did like the the sense that you were a special person destined for greatness and that your family was signaling that to you no i think my mom still very much believed that but i did not see much evidence in the world to support that case Either in terms of like, I mean, just look around. It's sort of like what I was saying about being around people of different backgrounds or genders or colors. You know, if, if what you see is mostly people whose parents retired to your community from New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, and like they now everybody works in an Italian restaurant or a, a car fixing place or, you know, Walmart eventually. I mean, it's a, it was a service economy. It was, it was like basically the entire generation of people that preceded my generation were the last, the dying off of all the people who'd moved there having bought a house in the 50s for $20,000. And their kids now would maybe inherit that house. But it was like a vast percentage of the economy. I think to this day is still just, it's just service. It's like people who work at 7-Eleven, you know, going to 7-Eleven. That's also math, right? Now they got the meth, I think. Yeah, so it's got to be out there. Oh, so, but you were so. Even if your your mother still believed you were destined for greatness, you started to not believe it. You started to believe that your world was defined by the bo the borders of what you saw in front of you. And said like, well, that's great, and mom, mom, but you're my mom. And realistically speaking, it seems like where I am, this is what life is, is going to be like for me. You know, I, I I could blame that on other things, but the truth is, it was just what I saw. You know what. What I felt like, like I felt like I was trying as hard as I could on every front. 
uh, as I had been for a very long time, like trying to fit in, trying to get good grades, trying to be to, you know, the phrase at the time was living up to your potential, trying to live up to my potential all the time. It's just that like I was in consumer math. I think this was just this, frankly an error. Wait, like what, some, what is that? I don't I can't even parse that prefix to know whether it's the remedial math or the advanced math. Uh. It's what you'd expect. I mean, it's there's an element. There's like there's the very very bottom rung math, uh, which is like you know how to fill out a check and stuff like that. This was basically arithmetic. It was not even like pre-algebra. It was, and this is in eighth grade. It was what probably sets. I mean, it was it was like sixth grade math. And uh, and actually, you know, come to think of, it, there might have been an element of writing checks too. It was a very kind of practical arithmetic. Consumer <laughs> consumer arithmetic. This is the math they teach you in a panic before you drop out of school, just so you have enough knowledge to get by in your life, in your future life as a dropout, so right. you know how you're, to... You're grabbing onto the pontoon, they're going, remember the empty set? <laughs> well, the set theory, that's 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 a highbrow, but like, also you should know how to write a check. Well, I mean, we're not talking about like, you know, John Nash kind of stuff. We're talking about the same kind of stuff my kid's doing, like, you know, with the word problems and or uh, fact families. Did you have, yeah, have you had fact families? Have you dealt with that? I have. Oof, man. Yeah. I don't understand it anymore. I don't understand it at all. Anyway. I do understand the new math now. I, I'm excited by the fact that I do. And It's kind of about getting, being better at estimating for one thing, right? It's more about teaching to be loosey-goosey about being able to eyeball something. I look at the math the way they're learning it, and I think if I had learned math that way, it probably would have helped me a lot because the way I learned math uh, did not fit the way I thought, even though now, you, I mean, we all find ourselves thinking, why don't they just teach you how to do it? Yeah, like, just memorize we, these numbers. <laughs> yeah, we just want, yeah, we just want them to know how to do long division the, the way we learned how to do it because, practically speaking, you can get the right answer through a series of simple steps. Uh, but the way they teach them now is to actually understand what the hell's going on, and that's actually more important. But I find, yeah. as all parents of our age find ourselves frustrated that you still don't know how to actually do it. Here's how oh, you no. actually do it. Let me show you. What are you, you doing with your fingers? What are you doing? Like, sometimes her homework just makes me really roll my eyes, but she had great homework tonight, and she did it really well. It was really impressive. It's, she's They're doing tallies. You know, like you do one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. And so it's like there's these four kinds of animals in a tally. And you're supposed to be able to say, like, how many beetles did they find? How many worms did they find? And, and so forth. And it actually requires a fair range of skills. Like, there's the reading element. There's the kind of word problem element. So there's the question of, like, which animal did you collect the most of? And, like, bam, she, she got that. Which one did they get the least of? That's easy enough, right? It's all visual. You know, what were the four kinds of animals that they were tracking. And she had, now she's got to write down all the names. I mean, she's in first grade. It's not super complicated. But then things like how many more like beetles than spiders did they capture? And she did, she did great at all of it. And that's exactly the kind of thing that used to make me kind of curl up in a ball because I was never sure which information to throw out. You know what I mean with the word problems? Yeah. I, I, I feel like it is like, I see the resistance from parents about this new way of teaching things, but I, like I said, I just keep putting myself in that place and like, I think I would have responded well to this. And I think my kids are smarter than I was at that age, even if I could mechanically do things faster and better than they can. They're actually understanding what the heck's going on, I hope, anyway. We'll see. It seems much less rigid, much less rigid, and, and more about like trying to really understand the numberness of this rather than yeah. just the exact sum. Yeah, like, like I mean, you only okay, you only know in retrospect, but I know at this point exactly what I needed to hear to understand math concepts that I would not understand for like years later into my life. Like if only someone had told me exactly what I needed to hear, 
you know, of course now I know exactly what that is, but like, yeah, I, I think my kids are hopefully hearing it. The, the only thing this new way of teaching uh, can't do is get rid of the gene that both of my kids have that makes you hate schoolwork. <laughs> oh my God, it's punishment. She thinks it's punishment. I, I hated school so much. I hated it I hated so homework. Much. I, I, I shouldn't have said this, but I told like, oh, I am sympathetic. I, I thought homework was dumb and I hated it. Yeah. And sometimes it really is. It is just does feel like like it's a worksheet they got off the internet. They probably didn't pay for it. They just <laughs> they got this thing off the internet. It says copyrighted on it. You print that out and like you. It just it's just what they did at school that day. Yeah. No. And I hated homework. I refused to do it. I just I refused on principle. And like I see the exact same thing in my kids. They just think it's an affront to like I spent all day at school and I come home and they got to yes. it's got to follow me here. This is unjust. Uh, and I basically, uh, you know, my younger self agrees with them. And so I'm like, yes, I, I understand that attitude entirely, but. But you got to uh, do it. That's, yeah. And the part that's, ki- the part that's killing me uh, inside is that when she has an opportunity, like sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm trying to teach her how to cheat a little bit at life where I was like, hey, just so you know, honey, like if you wanted to make this story funny, that's okay. You don't have to just say what the bird's doing in the picture. You could actually take a joke. You could make a fart joke. <laughs> I think your teacher would really like it if you uh, made this funny too. Like that's okay. But she is very resistant to that. And not just because she it's wants a to fart get it joke. done as fast as possible. What? Get it done as fast as possible. And again, it reads, I think it reads as punishment and I cannot figure out how to change it. No, it is punishment. It's doing something you don't want to do. That's true. It's torture for children, I know. All right. We should start wrapping this up. Now, for next time, uh, what do you think we'll cover? We should uh, – did, did you get enough? We, you're welcome to do follow-up on uh, on military school. I got to digest. I got to digest it. I'm, I'm sure, I, I will circle back. This will this will come up again, I'm sure. I'll scan my yearbook. I'll send you some scans. I think you've seen some of it probably. You probably saw me in Diplomacy Club. Such a handsome young boy you are. No wonder <laughs> your, your parents thought you were special. <laughs> I was gifted. <laughs> Differentiated educational opportunities. Uh, next week, I don't know. Uh, boy, I guess we could probably transition right from military school into drugs, but that's another you topic. So. I want to do you stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that will get. I think drugs will will have more flip side of because I had no contact with military school. But that's an interesting case of like, why did you not? Yeah, exactly. There mm-hmm. you go. 